0: Thank you, good to uh, see all of you and to want to thank our worship team, uh, Chris and the team for leading us so well in these wonderful songs and Pastor John mentioned Wicked, I thought we were doing Wicked and I was a little worried but um, um, we are not and we won't do Wicked, we won't do Book of Mormon here, All right. Um, anyways enough with the jokes but so good to see all of you, today we are in this um, passage that talks about an obscure person. Uh, with a long name, Melchizedek, right? And uh, there is a little mention about him. And today we're going to be looking at who Melchizedek was and why he was significant. Uh, It's interesting because when we look at this, he fulfills... And you look at the outline, the insert, it's pretty basic, uh, bare-bones outline. But he fulfills two roles or what uh, theologians will call the offices. uh, There are three offices that Calvin talks about in the uh, Old Testament. King, priest, and prophet. And John Calvin talks about how those were these three roles or functions or offices in the Old Testament, and Jesus Christ fulfills all of them, right? And today we see a story about Melchizedek. He fulfills two out of the three, king and priest. And so we're going to look at that. And secondly, we're going to see how Jesus is the one who fulfills this and why we need a king, why we need a priest. Um, And you might not have thought so much about needing a king or needing a priest here today. Uh, But we will see in this text and really throughout the Bible that we do need both a king and a priest. Uh, A little background here. What's happening is, remember last week, Lot and Abram have... Uh, Split And Lot decided to go closer to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he is now over there on the fertile ground. And he chose the better land, and Abram is on this side. What happens in this chapter now, we didn't read much of it, but what happens is a war breaks out. And uh, these kings um, decide to attack the other kings in this region. So they kind of get together, and they attack the other side and they go to war, and Lot and all of his possessions are now taken in the war into by the other kings. And Abram hears about this. Um, and uh, he now goes to rescue him, and he rescues him in this way. Now, you think about kings, and you might have pictures or of uh, certain movie scenes and, you know, kings and thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of people going to war. But what we really have here, and Don Carson talks about this, is that it's really like a small town mayor, maybe 5,000 population. These little cities, and they would have, or little, and they would be sovereign. They would have their own kings or mayors. And a mayor doesn't sound as impressive as a king, but they would title themselves as kings and they would now uh, join forces with other small kings. And then they can go and go to war. So it wasn't a, a big, big war. But yet, we see it was still significant. And they go and they capture Lot. They take all of his possessions. And they take him back over. Um, and then what happens is uh, Abram is called. Now you could pause here for a moment. And if it was in our day and in culture. And if it was up to us, maybe the story might go different. If you were the uncle, your bratty nephew took the better fertile land, took the first choice, and this happened, you might just say, ah, God is just. Ah, karma, right? He deserved this. And you might just relish in that for just a moment and be so happy about it, but no. Abram goes to the rescue. It tells us here that in uh, verse 14, he takes 318 of his trained men And they go and they rescue Lot. They take back all that was taken and they bring them back. He goes and rescues them. He does something very good. And it is right after this victory, after that he has won this war, um, you can imagine morale is high, maybe uh, pride is high, self-esteem is very high, and they come back. In victory. And this is the, the high point. They have just rescued the people. They have defeated the enemy. And everyone is happy. And it is at this point. Someone appears. Uh, Melchizedek. A guy with a long funny name. Melchizedek appears. And Melchizedek uh, approaches Abram. And he offers him bread. He offers him wine. And then he tells him who he is. And it's recorded here. Uh, Melchizedek. It's interesting because Melchizedek, not much is mentioned. It's just these few verses. And then later in the Bible, he's mentioned again in Psalm 110. And then again in the book of Hebrews at the end of our New Testament, he is mentioned again in Hebrews chapter 7. So there must be something significant because these few verses is all that's mentioned about the story. Not much else is is said. Nothing else is really said. And yet, an allusion to him, a description of him, pointing back to him, Melchizedek shows us something significant. And so the psalmist talks about him in Psalm 110. The writer of Hebrews, again, talks about him in Hebrews chapter 7 and says that Jesus now is fulfilling the role, the office of Melchizedek. Well, who was Melchizedek? Well, number one, he was a king. You see in verse 18 that we read, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He is a king. Uh, before even the description of where he is king, his name means king of righteousness. Uh, Malek, sedek, sedek is righteousness. Malek is king, king, the righteous king. This is his name. And not only is his name, it describes here in the passage where he was king a city, a place called Salem. It's the same word as shalom, peace, greetings. In the simplest of ways, shalom that we are familiar with is a simple hi, goodbye. But in a complex, deeper understanding of the word, it means wishing someone the, the richest sense of blessing, a human flourishing. So when someone is now Uh, wishing you shalom. It is this deep blessing that they are wishing upon you. So it is not just a goodbye and hello, but it is a flourishing in your life in a spiritual material and every sense of your life may there be this kind of blessing. He is king of Salem or shalom. Uh, Scholars will talk about how eventually that this here most likely was the site of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. Shalom." And so there is a a lot of connections here. Boy, who is this, right? He was king. He was one of the kings. But not only was he king, secondly, he was a priest. Melchizedek came as a priest. A priest is someone who served in the temple. A priest was someone who was the bridge, literally, between God and man. And when you might think of priest, you might think of someone wearing certain garments, you might think of someone working at a temple, uh, maybe working, you might even think, oh, maybe a pastor might come to mind. But this was someone that represented God's people to God. He was the bridge. So the priest was someone that would go on behalf of the people and say, here are the sacrifice is God, and they would go and speak on behalf of the people. The prophet, on the other hand, was the one that spoke on behalf of God. He was the mouthpiece of God, and he would send speak God's messages or oracles to the people. So priest and prophet were these two bridges to God. And he is described here in the parentheses in verse 18, "He was priest of God most high." He was a priest. To describe God as the God most high is to let the reader know this is the same God that Abram worshipped. And so we see in the very next verse we see the role that he does. He, He goes back and forth between man and God. He starts with man in verse 19. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God, Most High, Possessor of Heaven. So he is blessing Abram. Verse 20, Blessed be God, Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your head. So he is now blessing God. So he is the bridge that goes back and forth between us and God. The Latin word for priest, pontifex. It's a word that means a bridge builder, a pontifex. Um, we see today in the Catholic Church, they use that term, the pontiff. And they will use that to describe the Pope. And this is a title given to now the Pope, who they now have said is the bridge between man and God. I remember uh, back in elementary school, maybe about fourth, third or fourth grade, a friend of mine had just invited me to go to his church, and not knowing the difference between any of the churches, and I went, and they said they have certain it's a weekly catechism or Bible study, and I went, and it was a Catholic church. Not knowing much, I tagged along and hung out, and then, then it came ta- time where he says, hey, it'd be good for you to, my friend refer, uh, you know, maybe he thought I was guilty or bad, but he said, it'd be good for you to go to confession. I said, I have no idea what that word means, right? I like, what? He said, yeah, see that booth? You go in there, and uh, someone will be in there. Um, and I was just old enough, right? Fourth grade, you're just old enough to be scared of everything, and yet you just go along with it. And I remember going in there and sitting in this wooden booth. And some of you have this experience, so you know what it's like. And I remember I heard a voice from the other side of the wall. Okay, oh, my son, welcome, and blah, blah, blah. And he asked me, uh, would you like to confess your sins? And there was so much pressure on me to say something, and to be frank, I was having a good week. I had nothing to confess. I was like, well, I I went to school. I did my homework. I listened to my mom and dad. What am you going to say? Um, and I remember now feeling this tremendous pressure, and I started making stuff up. I said, well, I, uh, I, I and I remember it still saying, I remember, yeah, I, I kicked my friend in class. I took his uh, uh, work. I was um, just bad at school today. And then the voice from the other side said, well, you know, Stop that, and blah, 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 you're, you're forgiven. Now, I leave the place, and now I feel guilty because I just lied, <laughs> right? So I'm like, I need to come back, because now, so I went in innocent, I came out guilty. I was like, well, I just, uh, uh, what am I going to do, right? Um, unfortunately, God led me to the true church where there is one priest. I don't have to go to someone. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to go to a pastor, say, can we go inside of a booth and can we talk and I need to share. We could share our burdens. We could share our prayer requests. We could even confess our sins to one another. But you do not have to go to another human being and say, can you be my bridge to God? And we see it eventually being Jesus Christ. But he came and fulfilled this role. So here's Melchizedek. Pretty rare, he comes as a king of righteousness, but also he comes now as the priest of the Most High God. And so when you think of king, you think of reign and ruler, you think of awe, you think of respect. And when you think of priest, you think maybe of someone who is caring, who is with me, who hears me in the proper sense. And obviously this now points to the Lord Jesus Christ. He fulfills both offices. Uh, the scholars will talk about typology or the types of Christ in the Old Testament. A type is a picture of the person or the work of Jesus Christ. So something that was in the Old Testament that we see now an explanation in the New Testament that tells us this was a picture of what was to come. So for example, um, when Moses holds up the bronze serpent and those who look to it will be saved. And then in John 3, that illusion is made and that Jesus must be lifted up and those who look to him must be saved. The, the, the bronze serpent was a type for Christ. Um, we see when John the Baptist calls out to Jesus, says, Oh, behold the Lamb of God who, was, uh, who comes to forgive the world. Behold the Lamb of God that picture of the lamb now when you go to the, back to the Old Testament of the sacrificial lamb now we see oh the lamb is a type that points us to Christ it is a picture of what Christ will fulfill and when we look at Melchizedek he is a type of who Christ will come and fulfill um, and this is who he is and he is now our king Jesus is our king you see that phrase often in the New Testament. And if you've been in the church, you've um, heard the songs and sang it yourself. You know, you know, it was King Jesus or King of Kings. And this is mentioned about Jesus Christ. Uh, one passage that comes to mind is in 1 Timothy 6, verse 13. Here it is. It says, right, I charge in the presence of God uh, who gives his life for all things, and of Jesus Christ, right? And Let me skip down to verse 15. Speaking of Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. The most excellent of kings is what it literally means. The most excellent of lords. He is now the, the standout. He is the greatest of them all. And he's mentioned in this way. He is the king. All of us need a king. All of us need someone to rule over us. There was a study done by Robert Spitzer on the four levels of happiness, and you see this little chart here. Um, He says this is our source of happiness, right? This is what Spitzer argues in his research. Number one is the most basic level of happiness we get from pleasure, right? Having some tacos, right? Um, uh, Having your morning coffee, Um, Simple pleasures. and It's nice. A better way, another step from that, is ego. Ego comparison. He says we get our source of happiness the moment we compare ourselves to others. And we go, oh, my car is one year newer than his car. Oh, that's good. All right? Oh, man. My house is just a little bigger than their house. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Oh, man. Um, And we compare ourselves. Uh, Thirdly, is contributive. He says, when you give, all of a sudden, when you start being generous and you help someone, and you hear the words, thank you, or maybe you don't even do that. We don't even hear that. But still, you go and you contribute to someone, because there's a level of joy and happiness that the first two can't even compare with. And the last one, transcendent. It is being connected to someone outside the physical world. It's uh, being connected to God. A joy that I find in God. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It is the ultimate, the greatest of our sources of happiness. And so now we need a king. We need to have someone who will rule over us. Who will now give us purpose in life and guide us in all that we do. I remember hearing Os Guinness talk about uh, breaking up kind of the three major thoughts in the world. And the first uh, group he talks about are those of the Eastern, uh, Eastern religions, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, and so forth. And, uh, we are familiar with that. In that school of thought, they're basically saying, I don't want to be ruled by anything or anyone. I don't want to be connected to anything or anyone. I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to reach the next level. The second school of thought is the secular thought, the atheists, the New Agers, Uh, We're familiar with that today. It is all rampant, all over our culture today. Where someone might say, I want to be my own ruler. I want to make the rules. And you hear this phrase often now that's used a lot in our culture. And it drives me crazy a little bit when someone uses this uh, phrase, oh, it's my truth. What is your truth? I said, there's no my truth or your truth. It's the truth, right? Right? But yet we now want to say, I want to define what's right for me. I want to define what the goals of my lives are. I want to define what's right or wrong for me to do. And we want to now sit on the throne. And this is what the secular thought of the day is. And then there's a third, the Christian thought. It's saying, God is the king of my life. God sits on the throne in my life. God dictates how I should live, uh, what I should do. He now creates the boundaries and the borders and the yeses and the noes for me. And he now gives me an objective, a mission, a goal, and a purpose so that we can say, I achieved this, and this is correct. And again, as Spitzer has argued, this is the highest form of happiness a person can have, is to be ruled well to have a king, the most frustrated person is sometimes you see a parent with a little toddler, and the toddler has no boundaries, no rules. And they're yelling and screaming for everything that they want, and the parents are saying, okay, whatever, you can decide. And the child does not know what they want, and they are never satisfied, neither are the people around them. It is now saying to ourselves, Going back to this Eastern thought, the Eastern religious thought, not that saying, I, I don't want any ties, I don't want any connections. Uh, it is a Buddha who had called his own son and named him Rahula, which means shackle or impediment. His own son became an impediment for his freedom, he was saying. His own son was a shackle. He didn't want him to be shackled because of his son. And the burden of caring for his son, he wanted to be free from all cares of the world. It is God who now defines for us what we ought to do and how we ought to live. What the goal of our lives ought to be. I mean, you could try this, you know. You can get any two young people or friends and you say, Do you want to play a game? They say, Yeah. All right. All right. And you can get, maybe if you have children or you work with kids, you could get to them. Okay, and you get them together. You want to play a game? You want to play a game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, go. And you tell them to start. And they will look at you puzzled. Well, what's the game? What's the confines? Where's the out of bounds? What's the objective? How do you know who wins it? Just make it up. Let's go. Go. You cannot play in this way. It reminds me of when, when Ashley was four or five. We had signed her up for T-ball, and T-ball was, you know, and we took really great pride because some of the kids hit from the pitch, you know. It was like, whoa, our kid is, they don't need a T, right? Anyway, so it was softball for girls. First one. You can imagine now, a bunch of four- and five-year-old girls, and we're trying to explain, and I volunteered to coach, and I was like trying to give, you know, all right, this is what the goal is. And already their eyes are, you know, and we, we played, I remember our first game, and some girls are picking, like, flowers. I'm like, no, you, you, you know, this is an important game. Pay attention, right? And you've seen that. And some kids are running the wrong way. Some kids are playing terrible, yet everyone's cheering. So it's a confusing place, right? Mom and dad and grandma, good job. I'm like, you just struck out. And then you get in the car, and if you were one of those parents, and I was one of those parents, and, you know, at that point, at this level, they didn't keep score, but you kept score, right? You kept score. I said, good job, Ashley. We won. She said, yeah, we didn't keep score. I said, I kept score. You bet at 1,000 today, Ashley. You know, we're going to get ice cream. You take after your dad. Yeah, you know, you're so good. And um, you think about that. But those kids, they, they didn't know what the rules were. They just went out there and they put on a uniform. They were happy to put on the uniform, take pictures. And can you imagine out of that group, we're trying to pick all stars and talk about who's going to play where and positions. Um, that is life without a rule. That is life of us saying, I'm going to dictate my own rules, and you go out to life and you say, "I, I don't know. I don't know. Am I doing the right thing? Why am I so busy? Why am I so sad when I have so much? We need a king, the one to rule over us. We need God. We cannot rule ourselves. We need God to guide us in the things that we need guidance for. So we wait, and we wait for our king. It is Calvin who said, We may patiently pass through this life with its misery, cold, contempt, reproaches, and other troubles, content with this one thing, that our God will never leave us destitute, but will provide for us, for our needs, until our warfare, and that we are called to triumph that we have a king that is going to take care of us guide us and give us this triumph we all need a king the temptation will come to put ourselves on the throne and when satan whispers in your ear in our ear says hey you should, you you know better you should go and eat of that tree you should go and do this hey you think about this for a moment Someone who is ruled well with a good king, they are living in a great, safe, there's pov- uh, There is a prosperity, uh, there's safety, there's peace, shalom. We often say, I can't have fun, I can't say what I want to say, I can't do what I want to do. No, the king says this is even better, this is what meaning is, this is what fulfillment is. This is what life looks like which is success in his eyes. And so we have to change that perspective. And oftentimes it is a lie of Satan that tells us uh, God is out to just ruin, he, he just wants to ruin your weekend. You know, you got to go to church. You're going to spend hours there. You know, there's an offering. You have to give your money there right and there's people there's some people that you like and there's some people that is not really similar to you and you got to sit and talk with them or and you think of god as oh he is just the one that is watching out to ruin my life no he is there as the the good king the benevolent king not only that jesus is our our priest he is better than any human priest. He is better than any Old Testament priest. He is the greatest of all priests. The whole book of Hebrews is pointing to why he is greater than the Old Testament priests. He is our priest. There's a little passage that I love in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Let me just read this for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let me just pause there for a second. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. He is able. That means he knows this word symp- sympathize. Sympatheo. We get the word, obviously, sympathy from this original word. With pateo, suffering, with suffering. He lives with suffering. He knows every type of suffering. Suffering from sin, suffering from disease, suffering from the world. Every kind of suffering He knows. And yet without sin. And He cares for us in this way. He is the ultimate priest. He is the greatest priest. Isn't this comforting to know that the God that we worship is not just a distant king who is, we have to tiptoe around, but no, he is also the priest who sits with us, who weeps with us, who guides us out when we need, he lifts us up when we need to. He is this type of priest. There's studies, many studies done, there was one done in 2017 that found the power of uh, empathy that when someone is physically suffering, so they would uh, study these people, the people who were physically suffering, they would ask them now, they would have them sit down and share what they were going through. So whether it's a physical ailment or whatnot or a loss, or something emotional, and they would share that. And the moment someone sat and listened very carefully to them and says, I, I understand They surveyed them after, and they said their level of pain had decreased. Uh, Patients also. There was another similar study done that they were able to cope better with bad news if their doctors were empathetic. We've all been there. We've all had empathetic doctors and nurses, and we've had those who just told us the facts. And you walk out of that place, and when you're you're there with someone in your family, and if you had a doctor who was just... Cold, hard truth. What do we say? Yeah, that doctor's terrible, right? This whole hospital is terrible, right? And we say, oh, America's, you know, this whole system is terrible, right? And the wall could say, no, well, he went to Harvard. Yeah, he's still terrible, right? Whereas someone that now is sympathetic. Sits with us and said, I know it's tough, but let me share it with you. And this is what it's going to feel like. And this is what should happen. And we're going to, we'll, let's get this through together. You walk away. You say, oh, that was a great doctor. That was wonderful, man. Did you know, he flunked, you know, sixth grade twice. It's okay. He was a great doctor, man. <laughs> you know. Um, because it's it, something about that empowers us. It strengthens us. We're able to cope better. And we are humbled when we think about God Almighty, who thinks about us, as the psalmist says in Psalm eight 4, What is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we that you are mindful of us? Insignificant of us, uh, one of us, one in what seven, eight billion, and He thinks about us. He sits with us. He knows what you go through. Who is man that you are mindful of him? You know the. Looking at this list and the lifespan, the insignificant creatures of our world. You know, they say uh, a, a common mouse lives only 12 to 18 months. So if you ever seen a mouse in your house, they'll be gone in 18 months. All right. A worker bee in one to two months. Queen bee a little longer. Right. A house fly, 28 days. If you have one and you can't catch it, one month. All right. They'll be on the bottom of your screen. All right. A female mayfly. Five minutes. And yet in the grand scheme of things, in the light of eternity, our lives are not so much more significant than these bugs and pests. The Bible talks about 70 years, 80 years. What is man that you are mindful? And so it is humbling, isn't it? That God cares for your intimate details. God wants to hear about your disappointments and about your good news. That Jesus Christ is there with you and he sympathizes and he knows exactly the hardships, the tears, the loneliness, the disappointments. All, he knows all of that. The guilt. He says, I know. And then it tells us here. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of Here is the great king. Here is the sympathetic priest. In the writer of Hebrews, the Bible tells us, he knows you so well. He loves you so much. Let us go with confidence. Some translations say, go boldly. Go approach God. Go approach this king. You know, it is only a toddler that would approach his father who is king and say, Dad, wake up. I need this from you. Here is our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of our lives, the King of kings. May he reign in us. May the great priest, Jesus Christ, may we go to him regularly. And may you find healing just from confession, just from prayer, Jesus, this is who I am. Jesus, you know my insecurities. Jesus, and He said, I know "I know, I hear you." And by, may by the time you say Amen in your prayers, may the healing start. Jesus Christ is our King and our Priest, and so we go to Him with confidence. Let us go to the throne of grace, receive mercy, and find grace, for this is who our God is. So Melchizedek gives us a picture. As Abraham is eating now the bread and drinking the wine, there's a picture of someone he is looking forward to, the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone that is be of his own lineage will come, and he will fulfill this great covenant that he will be the father of all nations, and this will happen through his offspring ultimately through Jesus Christ. And so we come humbly before him. Our king and our priest, we go to him. Let's bow our heads and pray, would you? Thank you, Lord. We, in our pride and ignorance, Lord, often want to be the king of our own lives. We want to rule. We take what little things that we have, and Lord, we we fight you. We say, it's mine we think about our lives and we say, it's my time and my money, it's me. And yet, we are in need of a king. So Lord, help us to yield to you. Help us to look to you. And Lord, often in our pride also and in our ignorance, we, in our pain and in our guilt, we try to fix it ourselves. But Lord, we have a great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses, all of our guilt, yet without sin. So be the most approachable one. So even as we pray, you hear us and you care for us. So we thank you. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.